2: Hey, everybody. <laughs> welcome to welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We got somebody on sound effects today. Yes. Yeah. It's
3: Matt. If we bring back no, the we're... old uh, 1950s soundstage, sign me up. You know, Little slide
2: whistles,
4: pew. <laughs> you, know? <laughs>
3: you know, like the, um. making the thunderstorm with like yeah. shaking a piece of, yeah. of metal, yeah. you know? Yeah,
4: yeah. Putting rocks in like a tube and. Right, you know. right. Shaking. Oh, yeah. Yes. <clears throat>
2: we we're, we're, we're actually warming up our voices because we're recording this intro a little bit earlier than we normally do in the yeah. morning and so we're all a little bit uh we're all a little a bit disoriented lot earlier a lot yeah.
4: earlier yeah, yeah it's 6am yes. for
3: christy right now and she's yeah.
4: she's yeah. over this here is talking how about dedicated Anna Green we Gable. are
2: to bringing you these this podcast breaking news breaking news christy has just woken up uh, but uh, it's october it is october it's also october octo- it's um, and I,
4: and here's the deal. I need my listeners to, like, help mm. me out here because Matt and Ben, you uh, know the quote? No one's going to know it because I'm talking and no oh. one's going to be able to respond. But right. That's there's not a, how a podcast works. <laughs> Listen, it's early. But still, okay. <laughs> but there's a quote. It's like something like, I'm so thankful that there's Octobers because it means that there's pumpkins or something like that. It's oh. from Anna Green from, Gables.
2: Okay. yeah.
4: No. Anne mm-hmm. Gables. Did you no. watch Anne Green Gables? Did you read like it? My, Did you I feel like I know? caught snippets
2: of it because my I have three daughters and they watched it. It's Listen, a, there are
4: there are listeners who know what I'm talking about and they're <sighs> correcting the quote. But anyway, I love October because yeah, it means write us fall. at
2: podcast at gravityleadership.com yeah. and let us know what the quote is. But <laughs> but uh, but the quote works, Christy, because in my mind, October is associated with pumpkins. Hmm. Halloween's episode. at the end of the month. Yep. Mm. Yeah. It's time for the biggest pumpkin harvest, the biggest pumpkin contest. Mm. You guys ever do one of those? Mm,
0: no. 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 Like I never you
4: mean either. carve it and stuff?
2: No, no, like biggest, like you like grow, grow you try to grow oh, the biggest pumpkin. Oh, oh I see. No, I've seen no. people uh, compete in things like that. No,
4: but do you know what we're going to do? We're, have you seen those wheel kits that you can buy and you can make your pumpkin mm. into like a car derby race? Oh. What? You guys, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. And so you like, like carve the car? pumpkin. Yeah. You oh. you carve the pumpkin and then you buy this like little kit and you put wheels in the bottom of the pumpkin and oh. then you race it down a hill and oh. we're going to do it for the first time this year. Okay. I've never done it. I've only seen it, but it looks awesome.
2: Do you have like a club, a local club that races <laughs> them or, or are you just, uh, just your family? Your family no. is big enough to be a club, to be it its is. own club.
4: It is. My yeah. mother in law's here too. So there's nine I'm, of us now in yeah. this house, but yeah. No, fifth and sixth grade kids uh, okay. at my church, we're going to do it. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. Yeah.
4: Yeah. All right.
2: What do you call that? I, when when I was a kid, we did like, what was it called? The pine Pinewood Derby? Right. And it's the little cars be... were made out of pine. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, Wood.
4: the pumpkin
3: carving pumpkin, derby. I don't know. Pumpkin
2: carving. You need to come up with a good name. Now, are the
3: kids going to get in the pumpkins and race?
4: No, oh, but the, oh. put a small child baby large, in there. <laughs> yeah. Make you need it large more dangerous. Pumpkins
2: or tiny infants. <laughs> Either
4: way. Oh Get, my.
3: Yeah. You got to be able to fit inside your pumpkin. That's the only rule. That's the rule.
4: Well, or wear mm-hmm. it like roller skates, like carpet. Oh, oh like yeah. Two, two pumpkins.
2: Oh, two wow, pumpkins. That would be a recipe right. for getting injured for now sure. Now I'm doing this. <laughs> All right. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, friends, a couple, a couple notes for both of you. Matt, right. Christy, I want you to listen up. Okay. Uh, because the Gravity Leadership Podcast, right. I got my pen. Yeah. I'm ready to yeah. take notes. Take some notes. The, the Gravity Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Gravity Leadership Academy, and we uh, typically start a new cohort every month. That means it's a new month, and we're going to probably start a cohort this month if we can, if we can, uh, you know, get enough interest. So if uh, that has been something that's been interesting to you, uh, I encourage you to sign up, check it out at gravityleadership.com/academy, mm-hmm. uh, just to see what it's all about, and reach out. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, typically nobody signs up for this until they reach out and ask us some questions. So that's that's always a fun conversation. I enjoy those. Yes, um, Christy, what's your favorite thing about leading a Gravity Leadership Academy cohort? In oh my
4: goodness, you know, it's the people.
2: I love the uh-huh. people,
4: and honestly, the like what we talk about has been so transformational in my life, and then to see it. See the Lord use that in other people's lives is mm-hmm. just amazing, and um, it's it's my it's probably my favorite time all week long, mm-hmm. so it's yeah, good, that's
2: really great. And guys, Christy Christy's not just saying that, like, she called us the other day. Well, she left us one of those voice texts that she loves so much. I yeah. love she, voice texts, she voice texted Matt and I and just like gave us this word of encouragement out of the blue, like she was talking about last week, and I was like, oh. Anyway, it's so true. Christy Christy's the real deal. She really does uh, live and breathe uh, just encouragement and all this t- kind of stuff. So
3: yeah,
2: uh, so that's one thing I want to let you know about. Uh, the other thing is that you can join our um, Gravity Leadership online community for free. Gravity Leadership Academy costs some money, but Gravity the curated links are free, mm-hmm. um, which we send out on Fridays, and um, there's always uh, some interesting stuff in there. Good stuff for Christian leaders who want to uh, discern uh, how God's at work uh, in the midst of cultural upheaval, uh, everything that's going on. So Hmm. there's a couple links last week from COVID stuff. Um, There's a bunch of uh, Hmm. interesting stuff. Anyway, every week, it's fun. It's a fun email I get to write. So sign up for that at gravityleadership.com slash join if you'd like to join us in our online community. And finally, we're getting back into um, events a little bit. We're dipping our toe back into live, a world of events. live in-person Woo-hoo! events. Yeah, we're excited about it. We've got an upcoming uh, discipleship workshop. It's called "Follow the Way." It's mm-hmm. about the missing ingredient in our discipleship and what uh, w- what we need to do about it. Um, and uh, that's coming up in Northwest Indiana. So if you're in the area, it's November 19th and 20th. Uh, I think that's the dates are right. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but. It's Northwest Indiana, it's a discipleship workshop that is open to the public, so we'd love to see you up there Mm -hmm. if you're in the area. So, Yeah. Uh, Today, we've got an interview with Bethany Dearborn Heiser. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what's her deal? Tell us a little bit about Bethany and her book.
3: Well, she also likes words. And she yep. put a bunch of them she together. She knows how to write them. And she wrote this book called <laughs> order. From Burned Out to Beloved. So yeah. she's a, a social worker, a licensed social worker, um, and has written a book on how to assess and reckon with your mental, emotional, and spiritual health in the midst of like ministry. And that ministry yeah. could be in a church yeah. or it could be, you know, chasing five kids around your house or. Uh, putting wheels on pumpkins, whatever you're doing, Chaplin. <clears throat> but um, we've we've actually interviewed a number of people on this podcast, over 200 now, and uh, this book is such a primer, or primer, depending upon where you how call you home. I want to pronounce that. Yeah, uh, is such a primer to what we do at the Gravity Leadership Academy. I mean, it's. Mm. Uh, I think the book itself, uh, the appendices in the book, is worth the book itself. It's a mm. really great book of how to. Reckon with and then what to do about um fatigue and discouragement yeah. and um burnout so yeah,
2: yeah, it's so helpful uh it was so helpful to hear from her, and um I think this book is a, a timely one, yeah. given that we're we're still in a pandemic, yeah, we're still figuring this out
3: so. yeah, it was great all right,
2: well, anything else, guys. Mm.
4: I don't no. think so. That's all okay. I got. It's it's
3: yeah, early, a, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so early in the
2: <laughs> I need morning. A we're like, cup of coffee. that's actually pretty impressive that we could that we get actually have this many things to talk about. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, well, let's get into it. All right. Here's Bethany Dearborn. Hi, sir. Oh.
3: Bethany Dearborn Heiser, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast.
5: Thanks so much for having me.
3: Bethany is the director of Soul Care for Northwest Family Life, a network of therapists trained to work with survivors of domestic violence and sexual trauma. She's a bilingual social worker. She's a chaplain, a pastoral advocate. She basically does everything. And she works with people (laughs) affected by addiction, sexual exploitation, incarceration, and immigration. And her and her husband, Kenny, live in Seattle with two kiddos.
5: That's right, yeah. Yes. And I just was saying that you might hear background noise, but I hope not, because I've got a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And they're both, they're both still, like, at home? They both, like, hang out all day at home?
5: Uh, in seasons, yes. I mean, my um, four-year-old will be back in preschool in a few weeks. Um, okay. But, yeah, mostly. And my parents are with them. Oh, um, fun. So I can okay. work part-time, yeah.
3: Hooray cool. for mom and dad. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, well, Bethany, thanks for being with us today. We're chatting about a book that you've written recently called From Burned Out to Beloved, Soul Care for Wounded Healers. It's a book uh, that helps, I think, name, for those of us who are in the, um, the vocational life of helping other people, and helping other people in emotional, spiritual, and mental capacities, relational capacities. It's a book for caregivers to take care of themselves. Um, and you tell this story a bit, I think, in the book. But I'm, I'm wondering, like, if you could just share a bit about uh, how this topic became important to you. Like, when did you realize that you needed to start taking care of yourself too?
5: Yeah. Um, I mean, you might already be thinking with reading that bio, gosh, she does a lot. And just to provide a caveat, I don't do all that now. I, um, I'm mm. the director of soul care, and I do that part-time, and I take care of my kiddos part-time. Um, that, the, the roles that he listed I've um, had in the past, and indeed at one point I had way too many roles. I was working at a domestic violence shelter. I was studying um, for my master's in social work and studying sex trafficking kind of obsessively, like watching documentaries and reading about it, writing research papers, um, as well as meeting with women in jail, going to juvie. I was kind of the on-call person that the juvie would call to meet with if there's a kid who they wondered if had been, it was in a trafficking kind of situation. Mm. And then I also worked at a family support center with immigrant, um, families or families that were navigating, um, life in the U S mainly from Southern Mexico. Mm. And so I was doing a lot <laughs> and I did thought you sleep? I was, uh, did you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I tried to, <laughs> although I did have a swing shift. And so it was, I'd get home at midnight and I'd go to bed and I'd get up the next day and then work at my other job. And so it was a little, little crazy. I, what helped me back to your question, um, was I actually took a class by the author of trauma stewardship. If people are familiar with that book Laura Vandernewt Lipsky. She was she. I was teaching at the University University of Washington, where I was getting my master's, and it was called self care for social workers. And I thought, ah, oh, self care. Like, <laughs> I'm good. I've already, you know, a lot of what self care is talked about in social media or common vernacular is go get a massage or go do something nice for yourself, and that's good. And when people have resources for that, great. But that didn't get to the core issue of what for me, of what I needed to hear. Um, hmm. Because of privilege, because of all sorts of things we could get into. But I um, I needed to understand more of how I was being affected by the work and my own stuff, my own inner um, beliefs to make changes and to live in a more healthy, grounded way. Um, so that that class I kind of point to as what kind of catalyzed a bit of my movement, my, my change.
3: Yeah, Bethany, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned this distinguish distinguishing or delineating between self-care and soul care mm-hmm. and how um, self-care can sometimes be defined in ways that privilege people who have affluence or who have lots of margin and freedom in their schedule um, to, uh, you know, maybe in a caricature way like pamper themselves. Exactly. Um, and and so you had maybe a, a prejudice or a bias or an aversion to that based upon the people you were working with and, and some of the perspectives you gained. Um, I'm, I'm curious, as you began to reckon with the cost that your profession took on you, um, you use words in this book like burnout, like moral injury, like secondary trauma like compassion fatigue. And I'm wondering if you could maybe describe what are those, like what are those things talking about the same experience? Are they are they different and distinctive enough to name them separately? And how does, and maybe give us a few characteristics of each. Like how do you begin to wake up to how other people are impacting your soul?
5: Yeah, it's a good question. A great series of questions, really. I mean, yeah. I would say that, um, there's kind of a Venn diagram of those words? Um, moral injury, compassion fatigue. I, compassion fatigue um, is prote- possibly helpful to think about in terms of people who are in a profession um, or a volunteer capacity, some kind of role where you are your role exposes you to challenging realities, and you you're experiencing the impact of hearing people's um, su- about hearing people's suffering. And it's exhausting, and there's fatigue in that, and um, and you're weighed down by it. You're heavy. You're you wonder, can you hear anymore? Can you? What am I doing? Am I doing anything that like that's helping? You kind of ask, start asking those questions, and that does dovetail into secondary trauma, um, which I. You know, if primary trauma is the trauma that someone experiences to their own person, secondary trauma is witnessing or is hearing about that trauma. Sometimes people talk about it as witnessing trauma. I would still say that that is potentially primary trauma if you witness something violent. (laughs) Um, But it can happen even for people who um, are, quote, the perpetrators of violence, um, which then can also lead So I'll close that one, though. So secondary trauma can lead to symptoms that are similar to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So difficulty sleeping, nightmares, um, hypervigilance, inability to slow down, exhaustion, again, which all can lead to burnout, um, which I'll explain in in a second. And moral injury is where your profession requires you to do something that is against your values, So our healthcare professionals (laughs) these days where they are being pushed to the brink and they're not able to provide the type of care that they would like to. Um, It doesn't mean they're doing something contrary to their values in terms of hurting someone directly, uh, but they they feel like they can't do what they would love to do. Or teachers who feel like they can't care for kids in the ways that they would love to. It was first talked about in terms of... um, people in the military who are inflicting harm, and but they're doing as a part of their role. Um, and it causes a sort of personal injury, personal moral injury. And I would say that all of those three can lead to burnout. Um, they don't necessarily lead to burnout. And burnout would be characterized as kind of utter emotional exhaustion, potentially depersonalization, so dehumanizing people, not able to see people as um, worth care, or not even worth care, but just, um, yeah, even uh, compassion for people in some ways. Um, and so, that I would say that they does that Venn diagram explanation kind of help. They they overlap, and there's uniqueness to each aspect.
3: It helps me a great deal. I think these words are getting into common vernacular, and so mm-hmm. they become, they they get used more and more frequently. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me to it's hard for me to trace where they come from so that they sort of get extracted from their world of meaning and then they just become maybe synonyms or just mm-hmm. signifiers of things that I'm not sure of. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned moral injury, I'm reflecting on my, my sister's a physician. And um, about six years ago, she had three kids. And her, her hospital, I think, was like most hospitals. They're looking to maximize profits and looking to... Uh, get the most out of their employees, and my sister was realizing that she had intentionally chose to become a family, a, a primary care physician, like an internal medicine person, so she could walk with families from you know little kids up through adulthood. We had a PCP as a family growing up, Doctor Beardsley, who was this like I don't know outside of our priest, he was like the <laughs> dearest authority figure for our family, um, and my sister said that sh- she was compromising her values by like whipping through patients and not actually caring for people. And, and I think what she was describing was moral injury. Like Mm -hmm. I have to perform through the policies and procedures of my hospital, but I'm unable to obey my conscience with my patients. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about?
5: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I would say so. And I think these words can give word give name to what we're feeling what we're experiencing and help us to feel like we're not alone that it's not sometimes um there can be blame on someone who or you can feel personal blame for burning out oh i was just not strong enough i i couldn't handle it um and you feel weak (laughs) but actually to say oh there's these dynamics i'm human it's true i have limits um And I need care. I think that's where the shift from self-care to soul care comes in, is that I need to tend to myself, not just because, not because there's something wrong with me, but because I'm human and I have limits and I can't do it all. And so sometimes the soul care is slowing down, it's stopping, um, and it's recognizing that this is normal, what I'm experiencing. So understanding these concepts was really helpful for me to say, whoa, I'm experiencing secondary trauma. No wonder I'm having a hard time. So... I hope that even that description can help listeners maybe give weight to and uh, a name for something that you're experiencing and I think this these this past 18 months you know that there's been a lot of hearing of stories there's been a collective trauma whether it's on um, all different aspects of the of from covid to um, protests to witnessing violence against people of color um, so I think there is there's a collective groan in some ways, and I think if we can name it in a way that helps us move forward um, as, a, as a body, that would be lead to growth and healing.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think about the last 18 months, and I think you don't have to be a counselor or a doctor or a pastor to feel the underlying current of compassion fatigue. You could just be a mom. You mm-hmm. could, you could. I mean, truly... Be stuck all,
3: home all day with five kids yeah. for, for a year and a half. <laughs>
4: Come and on. be exhausted, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think our world needs to hear about soul care, mm-hmm. uh, not yeah. just people who are in certain professions or mm-hmm. certain roles. Um, but right now, uh, I think across the board, there's just this underlying mm. need for soul care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, Bethany... Um, I uh, I appreciate the way that you're talking about this. And I wonder if you could maybe expand upon um, something that I I hear you mentioning. Um, Soul care is different from pampering yourself. Um, And I think one of the, one of the things that oftentimes rise rears its head in people's minds who, who are helping others who have a, even if it's just like, wow, I watched George Floyd's murder and I want to do something like I want to help, you know, in some way, even if you're not, as Christy said, like in a helping profession, um, and oftentimes, I think soul care, or you know, taking care of your body or taking care of yourself, is seen in contrast to helping others. Mm-hmm. And so, there's a guilt message, right, that that kicks in if I'm if I'm ever too tired, right? And um, you know, you talked about you know being a mom. I know there's a lot of moms that I talk to experience this. If I can't help as much as I want to, you know, there's this guilt, um, shame that kicks in that I'm I'm not uh, doing enough. Um but by the same token there also is I recognize this in myself um you know last year there also is a sense in which um I wonder if you could I guess here's my question sorry I'm I'm kind of dancing around this one but here's my question how do you tell the difference between something that's an unhealthy numbing right from from the I don't know, like being connected to the pain of the world, like an unhealthy sort of pampering, insulating myself from the pain of the world as a survival mechanism, as something that's not healthy. How would you distinguish that from a healthy instinct for soul care that is rooted in my desire to continue to be of as much help as I can to others?
5: Hmm, good question. Is so, it... in term, for example, if someone you know wants to kind of disconnect front and yeah. slow down and take care of themselves is that doing it to numb them or is it doing it in a healthy right,
6: right. way am i am i sort of avoiding an awareness that i that i need to have or is this really like a healthy instinct to say i've got to take care of myself so that i can continue to be connected to the pain of others
5: yeah i mean i think it's a it's a core question and it's one that only individuals can really answer and maybe individuals within a community i think we can when we're in, mm. we call invite people into relationship with us who know us, who know our triggers can also support us in that and hmm. speak into our lives. And I think what you're doing with Gravity Leadership and having a cohort of people, inviting people to walk with other people, um, hopefully you can start kind of inviting people, those voices into your life. Um, but I, yeah, I and mean, I think, what is your motivation? What is your, hmm. what are you doing it for? You know, it, it, it's true. Sometimes people say, well, am I, I'm, I'm watching TV. I'm trying to slow down, like stop, you know, binge watching a show. Um, what are you doing it for? Is it, is, is it taking up all your time? Is it, mm-hmm. are you doing it to avoid something? Um, and I think part of creating margins in our lives to reflect and to, to consider those questions uh, can can create the space to have that creativity and have that sense of reflection is, what, mm-hmm. what am I doing this for? And I think when we're, we're moving so fast, and where, when I was doing all those things, I didn't slow down. I didn't think, mm, you know, yeah. what am I doing this for? Even yeah. I was just—I'm reading *My Grandmother's Hands* by Resmaa Menakin, oh, yeah. phenomenal mm-hmm. book. Yes. yes, and he even talks about, you know, like exercise and yeah. meditation. Like, are we doing that um, yeah. as a shove, like to disconnect, or am I doing that out of a place of of peace, a pace, place of rootedness, mm. and? hes I love his phrase of he talks about how a settled body settles bodies um, yes. so is my practice helping me to settle and to be more present, but sometimes we need to be activated too, so mm-hmm. it's not that settled isn't is the the be all end all um yes. because sometimes we need to to protest <laughs> mm-hmm. um but I think how is what I'm doing um, grounding me and, and is it life-giving? Is it leading to peace? Is it leading to wholeness? Is it leading to yeah. better connection with myself and with God and with relationships? There's nothing inherently wrong with, you know, with exercise or with, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, or watching TV or these, right. these activities, but am I doing it in an addictive manner?
6: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah
5: that help answer Yeah,
6: so helpful so a couple things let me just reflect back having a community seems like that that's a really vital part of this you don't just come up with this stuff in your own head um Mm -hmm. because we can you know trick ourselves right Mm -hmm. um so having a community having trusted uh fellows um that we can uh, bounce things off of and and Mm -hmm. ask you know to Mm -hmm. say hey what you know here's my instinct you know help me understand Mm -hmm. what's going on here um and I'll, I, I do appreciate, uh, I'm hearing in your reflections on Rest Momenikin's book, that like, does this practice, asking the question, does this practice lead to me being appropriately settled and activated? Mm-hmm. Right? Or mm-hmm. is there a disorderedness where like mm-hmm. I can't be settled and I'm just agitating it myself and everybody else mm-hmm. in situations where... I would hope to be a settled presence so that other people can settle their bodies. Um, But also, am I, am I able to become activated when it's time to march in the streets or, Mm -hmm. you know, speak up and go to the council meeting or whatever that might be? Like, am I able to bring my strength and my voice to those environments? Or is this practice tending to make me numb myself, numb my empathy so that Mm -hmm. I don't show up and I don't activate my body in those appropriate instances?
5: Yes, thank you for taking what I said and making it <laughs> all the more articulate. I think the the numbing um, is a good question, right? Like, yeah, is yeah, it yeah. is it numbing me? Is it? Yeah. Um, am, I, am I? Is it? Yeah, is it something that I'm doing? And we can't ask that question easily, right? It, or we can try to, but we can't answer it easily, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think just having also grace on ourselves <laughs> uh, yeah, and and compassion on ourselves that we are in a journey, um, yeah. we make mistakes, we try and we try again and we mm. um, we need each other and we need mm. we need help. Like I think there's this illusion and probably especially present in America of I gotta be tough enough, I gotta do it, I gotta do it by myself. Um, yeah. And so I think the practices that help us connect with each other and slow down and take care of ourselves um, to be conscious of the cultural environment that we are in.
1: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit GravityLeadership.com/slash Academy. Bethany,
4: I'm interested. I um I just recently started working on my rule of life. Is that familiar to mm-hmm. you? Yeah. And um, and so I wrote it all. I redid it. This I did. I did it in the spring. Then I like revisited it. Um, and basically, for our listeners, just kind of thinking through what are the rhythms of our lives, uh, you know, spiritually and physically, emotionally, all of these things. But um, I started practicing, like looking at my rule of life, and then kind of looking at my week and seeing if there needs to be any revisions. Because I'm a I'm a person who wants to get it right the first time. <laughs> and realizing that these rhythms are just that that I need to relook at them and maybe adjust or change or that type of thing. Um that's been super helpful in my life as something that's been like for soul care in me. But I'm curious if that's a practice that you take on or what you would say to our listeners who are like, you know what, I identified with some of those words that you described earlier. Um and what what steps can I take? Is it kind of creating a rule of life or is it something else? Can you help us think yeah, through that? Yeah, thank
5: you, Chrissy. Yeah, I actually talk about rule of life in my book and um, reclaiming rhythms of rest. And I use the phrase, I talk about rule of life and I also use guideline for living for those who have mm-hmm. kind of rule sounds too challenging to enact in their life. Um, and And I think it's super helpful. And I created one as well to kind of name what are my daily practices, what is a weekly practice, and even a yearly or quarterly practice. Yeah. And I think for listeners who might feel even overwhelmed at that idea, starting really small. So I talk about and I invite readers who, those who are reading my book, to to commit to a daily practice, even as they're reading, and you know, maybe it's five minutes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe it's two minutes. It's something I I meet with therapists and I support them in taking care of themselves and I also lead workshops and I often say you know maybe it's not doing something maybe it's not checking your phone right away in the morning and it's spending 2 minutes of intentional breathing or quiet or holding your coffee and just sitting there for a moment and not checking the news you know it doesn't have to be this big endeavor um, and but starting really small with a daily practice and that was actually what when I was working at shelter and I was doing all this stuff, my the teacher Laura Vandernewlipsky, Vandernewlipsky, she asked me, "What are you doing? Um, what's your daily practice?" And I told her, and she said, "Up your daily practice. Do it twice a day." Um, and she asked me also, "What I was? What was I doing when I got home from work?" And I said, "Well, it's you know usually 11:30 or midnight. I crash into bed. This was pre-kids <laughs> and." Um, she said, no, do something. Wash your hands intentionally. You know, go for a walk, take a shower, do something to— and this was not from a spiritual perspective, but just a kind of washing off the stories of the day intentionally. For me now, I try to be use those or invite those people to do those practices to, you know, surrender those people to God that you're carrying. Um, and so I, I even, we you know, with COVID, <laughs> washing our hands all the time, just what if we did that in an intentional way? Um, for healthcare professionals, or for any of us, just to to slow down for a second and to um, be mindful, you know, some of these practices that we can do that don't take up a lot of time. So that's what I would encourage for people to do: what feels right for them, their personality, and commit for a week or a month to a certain time frame.
4: Yeah. No. Thank you. It's really good, and hopefully, our listeners don't feel like that's something like they should do or have to do, but they're invited to do because mm-hmm. it really does bring life. Like I, I can say that, but maybe if you haven't experienced um, having a practice like that or a rhythm like that, maybe you're not sure. So if you're wondering and you're listening to this, I do promise, like it often really does bring this life that is mm-hmm. awesome and good and and um, and helpful.
5: Yeah. Nice. There's so much more to do. You know, there's always going to be more to do. And so I think it is a discipline to say, I'm going to, for me, I try to practice centering prayer or some kind of stillness in the middle of the day. That's usually my um, available time. And I, you know, set a timer and there's tons of stuff I could do, but I need that time. And I think once you start developing those habits and you realize how much you do need it. Yeah.
3: One of the things you do in your book, Bethany, that aligns really closely with what we do in our Gravity Leadership Academy, our cohorts, is that you help people specifically pay attention to their needs and desires, and you help people have a, a conceive of what is the relationship between my thoughts, my emotions, and my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought your I thought your work in these two chapters was so clear and so helpful. Um, Would you briefly, let's take the needs and the wants. Sometimes let's say I, I feel like I I want to spend some time in centering prayer, but I've got 74 things on my to-do list and I don't really want to do them, but at least half of them I need to do, you know, uh how do you navigate that terrain of desire and and de- delineate between what are what are needs and what are wants, and how do I discern those and order my life according to some <laughs> faithful discernment, right?
5: Mm, yeah, I mean, I think so. Understanding needs, um, I was was really helpful for me to learn about nonviolent communication, and I would recommend that to readers. The NVC has a, on their website a needs inventory, and there's forty needs, the categories in different ways Um, and different organizations and I include this in my book have different ways of or not just organizations but streams of thought of talking about our core universal human needs whether it's Maslow's hierarchy or um, even in centering or the contemplative outreach uh, which is kind of what developed centering prayer, there's the welcoming prayer and they kind of consolidate our needs into security, affection and control and so I think and I'll say that again, a security, affection, and control. Yes. And when we start to realize that we all have human needs, we all collectively have these needs, and these these needs drive us whether we know it or not. Um, we seek to meet them whether we know it or not. It can help us to, to again, humanize and go back to what you were saying, Ben, in terms of not feeling guilty for needing rest for needing sleep for needing friendships for needing play and delight like community these are these are needs that we have and there's not a weakness or a guilt um, when we can say I am human and I need this um, which is different than just wants or superficial kind of uh, you know add-ons or something yeah. that um, but and I think there's also um, yeah, so just to giving weight to those needs has been really helpful for me. In terms of desire, it's also been helpful for me to, sit, to see how God values what we long for, what we hope, what we desire, what we care about, that God placed those desires in our heart. Um, and Jesus came so we might have life and life to the fullest. I used to think that, you know, I didn't deserve care or that I shouldn't do stuff that were fun because there's so many people that are suffering. And I have to keep going. And the woman in the shelter that I was working with, they can't do that. So why? Like I would feel guilty. Like you said, back to what you were saying, Ben. And um, But did I show up better, able to be present to them when I, when I didn't do those things because of guilt? Or would it lead me to be more present and more settled and more caring and compassionate when I was also fully alive and I was doing what brought me life. Um, yeah. Again, maybe it goes back to motivations and is it leading to joy and to life and to presence and, and that's, again, the connection with soul care is that it's not just for myself, although I would say that we are beloved of God and we, we, we need and deserve care. Punto in Spanish, like el fin, that's it. We deserve care. <laughs> um, and it also makes us more present to p- other people. So I think in some circles, it ends at self-care. You know, it's mm-hmm. where I just, I need to take care of myself and that's it. But I would say that it it it's for our well-being because we deserve it and it also equips us to love others more and from a healthier yeah. place. Yeah. I think I yeah. went off the, the yeah, trajectory okay. there great. from what that's you're really, asking, Matt. But.
6: That's a fantastic question. Uh, uh reflection, I mean, we the, this uh, is very similar to um, the, the, those three needs that you met. Where did you say those came from?
5: The security affection that. control. It's yeah. from Contemplative Outreach. They, It's the welcoming prayer. Outreach. Okay. So yeah. I would highly recommend learning yeah. about the welcoming prayer.
6: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to look it up uh, later. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But um, because in our training, uh, as Matt said earlier, kind of you describe our training. In our training, we talk about our deep needs as being needs for security, Belonging and significance, mm. and so they're very, they're similar. Um, they're the same. It's the same. It's same. basically <laughs> the same. Yeah. It's just naming those things differently. Naming those things slightly differently. Um, and I I think that's really helpful. What you described of like recognizing these are legitimate needs that I have. So I shouldn't feel I shouldn't feel bad that I have a need for these things. Mm-hmm. At the same token, by the same token, I think there is a discernment that's required. Where um, I've found it helpful, for example. Sometimes I, I sometimes I am deeply longing for one of those things, but what I'm reaching for to meet that need is not actually going to sustain mm-hmm. me and fill me and, and bring me life. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm what I what I want is affection. Um, but what I reach for is ice cream, you know, mm. to use kind of a silly example. But that, social that, media, right? Or social media, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what I'm wanting is yeah. a sense of significance. Connection. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to reach for a social, yeah, or connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing. So it's been helpful to recognize it's not just that I want to see what's going on in the news right now. Mm-hmm. There's something deeper at work underneath that that helps me discern, okay, that's a legitimate need, but maybe the news isn't going to help me with that. And maybe mm-hmm. the news isn't going to be the way that that need actually gets met so that... I can get the care that I need and deserve, but also so that I can be, I can love others better, you know? Right.
5: So, yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. Happy. And yes, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, back to what you're saying of, am I numbing or am I, like, what need am I, am I meeting with the activity I'm doing, right. the social media scrolling? Is it meeting, right. is it, am I doing that because I need a, need connection right now? And is there a better way that I could experience?
6: Yeah, maybe connection. I could text somebody, or yeah. maybe there's somebody in my house also yeah. scrolling the internet that we could have a conversation. Maybe <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. It's something, I have teenagers, so that's yeah. a, that's a very common thing: is everybody <laughs> in their room scrolling on their own <laughs> internet channel. So,
5: and this goes back to, I mean, connects to what you were saying, Matt, about our. Um, you mentioned how in the book I talk about our thoughts, our, our beliefs drive our emotions, which drive our behaviors, and that concept is from the genesis process Um, yes and again that's so that's a relapse prevention program that we were trained in at the organization i was working with with, uh, in order to work with people in recovery and yet it's highly beneficial for all people i would say for all of us um, because we all have potentially societally endorsed addictions such as workaholism or social media scrolling so i think looking again at what are what's the belief that's affecting my emotion or driving my emotion, which is driving my behavior. And mm-hmm. to unpack those things um, and be honest with ourselves can be, is a hard but a courageous journey.
3: This, is, this was really important, I thought, Bethany, in this book, because I think uh, it may not be explicit, it may just be a latent, sort of tacit understanding we pick up uh, in a lot of Christian circles, is that beliefs are somehow superior to emotions, Mm-hmm. And they are maybe standing in contrast or in an antagonism to each other, so you have to basically—I don't know if you've encountered this, but I definitely did as a as a young Christian. You you have to basically punch your emotions in the in the gut, and you, your feelings will lie to you, but what what won't lie to you is true thoughts, and so you have mm-hmm. to use true thoughts to like. Mm-hmm master your feelings and then but what you're describing is is not that you're not you're not saying we need to stuff our heads full of right thoughts so that we can master our feelings. Uh, so could you describe the relationships between beliefs and emotions from your perspective that's maybe distinct from what I just said.
5: Yes, I will do my best. Um, I am I am sleep deprived right now. So I, I'm trying to be as articulate as I can, to be honest. Um, but it is, it's something I care a lot about. And I've been doing workshops on, and I've started to use the phrase internal narratives, because I think beliefs. sometimes we think of what we believe do- about.
3: Doctrines, right?
5: Doctrine, yeah. And this isn't different from that. So this is more, what are the things that are spiraling in my head. Like I the stories
3: about. we tell ourselves. Yes,
5: yes. That I believe about myself or about how others perceive me. Um, these we're so unconscious of often, <laughs> and these affect how we feel. Yeah. Um, whether we know it or not, and it is valid to feel what we feel. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's still a learning <laughs> curve for me, is that it is not wrong to feel what I feel even though the narrative I may have may be false or what I do with that emotion may not be healthy. So, but what I feel is, is human. (laughs) Um, it is, a is something that I often, we can't control what we feel. We control what we do with what we feel.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yes. What I, what I, what I hear you saying then (laughs) is that my, 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 the, maybe the story I'm telling myself that isn't true the way to um, the truth isn't to gaslight my feelings.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Our feelings tell us something. I mean i I just met with a spiritual doctor a couple weeks ago, and she what is your what is what is that telling you? You know, can you welcome that to your to the table? Can mm-hmm. you create space for that? Where what is that feeling telling you? You know, how do we how do we see our feelings as communicators to ourselves and not as something to be rid of Mm -hmm. um but it it's our it's our body it's our self telling us that we need Mm -hmm. care that something needs to change that and that actually when we and with kids we know this I mean there's I mean I just read how to talk to to your kids or to your little kids so they will listen and um -hmm. you know when you empathize with a kid Oh, that hurts or you're so disappointed. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. they, they feel heard and then their behavior changes. If you shove a kid's emotion, you will see that behavior (laughs) come out in a different way. Right. So I think it's, we can witness this with kids and we also need to practice it with ourselves.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is again, where there's a ton of overlap with our, with our training process, because part of one way to say that what we help leaders to do is to, um notice those stories, right? By welcoming, and I love what you're saying here, that you welcome the feeling because of course you feel that because there's this look at look at the story. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So instead of like you recognize, oh, I got this story in my head, instead of saying, like, you stupid idiot, why don't you believe better stories? You know?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have better on feelings same. if you believe <laughs> better stories. Instead, yeah. you
6: just you you like I love that image of just like empathizing with a kid to be like of course you feel devastated. Mm -hmm. If you think your friends don't want to be with you, if you think there's something wrong with you, of course you'd feel sad. Mm -hmm. You were made for belonging. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that place of compassion, you can examine the story and say, is it true that my friends don't want to be with me? Mm -hmm. Is it true that there's something wrong with me? Maybe I can can reframe this story, but only from that place of compassionately welcoming your feelings as telling you... uh, true things about what it's like to be inside that story.
5: Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of what the welcoming prayer, okay. I mean, it's it's I, noticing what we're feeling, allowing yeah. ourselves to feel it, mm. and then inviting God into it with us, saying, God, yeah. this doesn't, f- whether, it, and they talk about it's positive and negative, you know, yep. this, it yep. doesn't feel good, or I feel elated. Feel God, good. come yeah. be in this with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and it's inviting God to be with us with us in it. And then it's saying, I let go of my desire for security, affection, and control and embrace yeah. this moment as it is. Yeah. So it's entrusting for me imagining and trusting those core human needs to God. Yeah. And we don't even have to figure it out what exactly is going on in the moment of which right. need I'm trying to meet or not, but it's saying, right. I know that those are at play and I'm going to entrust God with them, yeah. Yeah. but I'm allowing myself to feel it.
6: Yeah, there's something very true about that, like, letting go of those things and just resting in the present moment. Because, like, the the thing that's very true bodily in the, all of those moments is I'm, I'm alive. I'm breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm okay right now. I actually am okay right now. Yeah. Anyway. And even if we're excited. not okay, that
5: God is with us in it. Right, right. <laughs> even even if, it, right? If, I'm, if we're
6: not okay, like... Like from a, I'm, I'm just thinking like from a, from a life perspective, my life is like I'm living right now. I'm a, like, even though I don't feel okay, you know, like in the midst of these, in the, I think that's been a powerful truth for me in those moments of just realizing, mm-hmm. okay, I'm worried about money or I'm worried about, you know, this project that I have going and I'm worried about failure or whatever it might be, but like right now it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay right now. You know, like, it's okay right now. Yeah,
5: Yeah. like the future tripping we can do. Right, right, yeah. Yeah.
6: It's like, Mm -hmm. will I be okay? Well, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm worried about, but right now I am okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah, that's great, Bethany. I love this. Mm -hmm.
3: Bethany, uh, I told you before we hit play that a lot of books we read and um, a lot of books I read uh, are like a blog post that somebody's expanded into a book, and I feel like every chapter in this book could be a book in itself. Which then can make for a really dense book, like really hard to read. And this, your skill as a social worker, uh, but also as a writer, is you take really complex things like this relationship between our beliefs, emotions, and behaviors, and you you make them, uh, you simplify them, without making them un uh, unnecessarily reduced to being unhelpful. And so this book, I think, is accessible, it's comprehensive, and it's uniquely positioned in this cultural moment to reach a lot of people where they really need to be reached. And so, I don't know, I, I just want to thank you for uh, writing this, but also I could tell as I read, this book comes out of the hard work you've had to do to take care of your soul.
0: Yeah. And
3: and you let us in on that in this book. And so I it actually moves me to trust you more because <laughs> I'm like, she's got some gold from this journey and she's sharing it with us. Uh, so, so, thank you. Did we thank mention the welcome. name of the book? I did. Did we do that
6: earlier? Okay. Sorry, <laughs> from, I must have missed it.
3: From burned out to beloved. We'll name we it again. We might as well name it again. We might as
6: well, <laughs> just so people, it sticks in their minds. We'll there put a link is. in the show notes as well, of course.
5: But, um, yeah. Bet, thank you. Oh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, well, I was going to say, at the end of each chapter, you have resources for people to spend hours and hours on. Hmm. And then there's I'm a
5: social ap- worker. I got to connect yeah. people with resources. <laughs> you totally do.
3: It's incredible. That's- and then there's some appendices uh, with different uh, practices that you've gleaned and um, cultivated from various ministries. And I think the, uh, there's two or three appendices. They're worth the price of the book. Hmm. Like The appendices themselves are worth it. So, uh, thank you, Bethany. Where can people find you? Do you, do you have a regular presence online somewhere? Are you other places besides this great book?
5: Um, So I have a website, Bethany Dearborn Heiser, and I do write a monthly soul care newsletter. So I'd encourage people who want to get that in their email um, because I try to add other resources that I'm discovering to that as well as workshops, things that I'm doing. um, Also sometimes a brief reflection, something that I'm learning or, or working through. And so that you can sign up for either on my website as well as I have a soul care for wounded healers, um, Facebook page. Mm. I'm not super active in my Facebook. (laughs) I'm more active in Instagram. So you can find me there. Um, but I think I, I try to balance my own (laughs) care of myself and navigating all those different worlds, but I do commit to writing that newsletter. And I, um, I also lead workshops that are open to people. And especially with these days, so much online, I've done them all virtually and,
4: Mm. um,
5: and they're, sometimes they're one-hour um, workshops or two-hour. I've done a couple of mid-year or different ex- examines, kind of looking at what are your needs mm-hmm. and desires. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to do a fall one on reclaiming rhythms of rest. Um, so, Great. And I call them workshops because they're doing your own work, inviting people to, yeah. to, to start this practice or to, to reflect, to do writing practices during the time together.
0: Yeah.
5: Um, so I would welcome people to sign up for those. Great.
0: Well...
3: I will. That's awesome. (laughs) I will, because you you have the best resources. I'm not sure uh, what happened, but you have them all. And so I want to hear about them as you discover them. Um, (laughs) Thanks again, Bethany, for spending time with us today.
5: Yeah, thank Thank you. you. Thanks, all of you. And I am grateful to hear that the book feels accessible. That was my hope, is to write it in a way that one did not feel re-traumatizing for people who are already Mm. traumatized. Mm. Mm. Um, That Mm. felt really important to me, as well Mm. as... That it, so it didn't feel too heavy but it felt yeah so it, people kept encouraging me put more of your story in there and I, I wanted it just kind of information yeah. and people like Resources. no come on yeah. <laughs> more of yeah exactly <laughs> I'm a social worker I, I, yeah. you know
0: yeah.
5: um, but put more of your story and so yeah it does yeah. it is partly my journey but it's also hoping to walk and encourage other people in their journey
6: awesome great to be with you
5: thank you thanks for having me
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.